Welcome back to another edition of the Around the Block podcast from Coinbase. I'm your host, Justin Mart. And this week, we have a challenging but interesting topic of conversation, the metaverse. I got to admit, it feels a lot like trying to explain the internet to somebody in 1980. How do you do it? What does it even mean? What does it look like? A lot of buzzwords flying around. So I want to break it down, and I have with me today Alex Reeve. He is our preeminent expert on digital identity, thinking about how to have your identity represented on blockchains and cryptocurrencies, and yes, the metaverse. He's been thinking a lot about this and is exactly the right guy to talk to. So let's jump in. Every time somebody says it, I'm always like, what do they mean? What, what is a metaverse? So I want to start there. I want to see if we can get a crisp definition of what the heck is the metaverse. Help me out. So I'm going to give one line and let me see how it lands. So the metaverse is, in my mind, the future of the internet. It's a persistent platform comprised of interconnected virtual worlds where you can complete any number of different activities. You can work, you can socialize, you can play, you can create, you can live your virtual life. And I'll pause there and I'm just going to see how that lands. Yeah, yeah. My first reaction is that's clear as mud because <laughs> the future of the internet is like a very, uh, again, kind of a challenging concept to wrap my head around as well. Okay, so a lot of, lots unpacked there. Yeah. Um, actually, maybe want to start with a different framing for this. And um, I can see the vision, right? A persistent uh, virtual worlds that interconnect, that are persistent to some degree. Um, but maybe from a different angle, let's chat about what problem the metaverse is solving. Or like, what is, what is the point behind it? Why are we creating metaverses? Why are we excited about it? What's the problem they're solving? I think this is a, this is not a novel problem that the metaverse is solving. The metaverse is an amalgamation of different solutions to existing problems. So let's use today's world, for example. We have problems around needing to work and collaborate with people remotely right? Like you and I are doing right now. So that's a problem. We also have sort of human needs for socialization, for entertainment. We need to make money. We want to connect and engage with others. We want to create. And so these aren't, some of these are problems. Some of these are sort of innate human needs. And I think the metaverse is an evolution on how we solve these things. A lot of these things are quote unquote solved in today's world. So we have, you know, in our case, Google Meet, where we can work remotely, we can socialize, we can go and watch Netflix to get entertained, we can play video games online, like all of these things exist. The metaverse is these things getting better, because technology enables better experiences. Yeah, okay, so let, let me try to put it in a lens that I maybe can understand better. Um, my, my frame in this too goes towards like, we are at the end of the day, very social creatures. And we really require kind of social interaction with each other. And when the world has moved, the internet has kind of blown up, right? Last 20 years or so. And a lot of those experiences on the internet are kind of single player mode, right? Hmm. And, but, but what's fun is the internet actually does enable multiplayer mode. It's just very abstract. Mm -hmm. It's through online forums on Reddit or, you know, you now have Discord where you can chat with people or now there's, you know, this, right? We were talking over, over Hangouts. Um, and it's, it's kind of starting to replicate the social experience, but what we're lacking and if I compare today's world to like pre-internet world, we're lacking a town square. 
-hmm. We're lacking a single place where people can go and interact with each other and have this sort of immersive, emergent sort of social behavior, right? Um, and we're kind of wired that way. We're evolutionary wired that way. And so my head goes a little bit towards like, is the metaverse trying to solve for that? Are we trying to create a multiplayer version of the internet and bring back this core kind of psychological and evolutionary need that humans have? I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is we lack interoperability, which is, that's a kind of scary technical word. What does that mean? It's you go to Reddit and you have your Reddit account. You go to Twitter and you have your Twitter account. At work, you have your work persona. And these things don't really talk to each other. You know, the consistent thread between them is you being a human, but it's very hard for you to take your identity and your experience portably across these different centralized products that we use today. So it's the town square, yes, but it's also allowing all of these different parts of your life to better interoperate where you have mm. a single identity that can represent you across all of them. Okay, yeah. So in other words, I have one account on Reddit and you know, socially on Reddit, maybe in some subreddits, I'm known by that account name and have some, some measure of reputation. But there's no way anybody on some other, on Discord would know about my Reddit persona. I can't carry that with me across different versions of the internet. Right, okay. right. So that interoperability is important because it gives you more consistency to yes. your, your personality of sorts. There's another part though. The other part, I mean, there's many parts, but the other big one is, is virtual economies. So, you know, today we have, you can go and buy stuff with your credit card on the internet and there's crypto, of course. But there's not really a cohesive economy that ties together these different things. So, you know, you can't go and earn money from your job and then go and spend it directly in a game on the same day. That's not how things work. So it's not tied together through any kind of mm -hmm. economy, which is why you hear crypto brought into this, because people are starting to see that, okay, crypto could potentially be the technology that enables virtual economy as well as virtual ownership of goods, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, let's, so, so let's go back to the, the problem that the metaverse is solving, right? So it's, it sounds like, again, we want that personality in the internet to be cohesive, to travel with us across different sort of you know, domains of the internet, so to speak, different metaverses that would exist. Um, but we still kind of do agree that the metaverse is a town square, a meeting hall, the idea of making the internet, moving it from single player to multiplayer? Mm -hmm. I think so, yes. Plus, okay. the, plus the economy, plus the like, interconnected experiences. Yeah. Maybe the next step here then is let's trace out how some people are defining the metaverse today, right? And again, like I came into this going, man, my version of the metaverse, when I say metaverse in my head, I kind of had a nebulous concept in my mind. So can we trace out like what types of metaverses people are building and how it might tie back in to the overall problem we're trying to solve? So in my mind, there's, I think there's kind of three examples today. Uh, there's the virtual world. So you have Decentraland and Sandbox, for example. You have gaming, which is often, I think, confused for the metaverse. We can maybe talk a little bit about that later. And then there's, to your point, the sort of meta Facebook Zuckerberg you know, virtual boardroom experience. And I think they're the sort of three emerging flavors, but none of them quite represent, in my opinion, what it'll eventually be because they're all focused on a particular use case, whereas the sort of broader concept of the metaverse is worlds where you can do any number of these different things through one identity, one set of economics, and you can navigate between it seamlessly. Yeah, okay. So you mentioned Decentraland and Sandbox. Mm -hmm. um, maybe just give me like the one-liner and what exactly those are and what they're building. Yeah, so they're, they're essentially virtual worlds. So they're a very early version of you can go and create 
a character, you can go and acquire virtual goods. They have in-game economies. They have activities you can do. So they have you know, basic entertainment and games. They have social aspects. And so I think a lot of people that are listening to this have probably had some exposure to games like World of Warcraft. You know, they're actually not too dissimilar to that, except they have less of a gaming focus and they're more of a social ownership of property and more of a, a virtual world focus than gaming specifically. Uh, and they're, they're sort of two, I'm oversimplifying it, but they're sort of two slightly different flavors of the same concept of creating virtual worlds. Okay. And so uh, we also have gaming metaverses you mentioned, like are there specific gaming metaverses out there? What are those? So I don't think it's per se that there are gaming metaverses. I think it's that people often connect gaming with the metaverse. But I think this is quite an important point because I, the, gaming is not the metaverse. Gaming is an activity you can do within the metaverse. And the reason people make this connection is because they're starting to see it become real. You know, in games, you often do have you know, three-dimensional virtual worlds. You have characters, you interact with others. Some of them even have like play-to-earn economies today. You know, for example, Sandbox and Decentralized have economies that you can buy and sell and you can even take that and convert it to fiat and take it to your bank account. So I don't think it is the game is the metaverse, but people can see it starting to come to life, which is why you hear that comparison. Let's fast forward five, 10 years, right? Let's say that we have these really immersive, uh, you know, interconnected experiences you could jump into. I'm curious, just like, give me the pitch for like, why people will congregate in these spaces. Is it just because, you know, it's so hard now in person or I can, you know, hang out with my friend who's in Oregon versus, you know, me being in Texas. Like what exactly is the hook to get people on a metaverse in the first place? People will be drawn to better experiences. And so if you, let's say, for example, you're working remotely today, you can spend eight hours a day on Google Meets. But if companies start creating virtual experiences that are more engaging, so perhaps it's, you know, we both have a 3D character that represents us. People are going to be drawn to those better experiences over time. So I don't think there's necessarily one silver bullet that gets people here. It's that all of these different you know, socialization, playing, creating, working, they get incrementally better because they get layers of better user experience put on top of them. So they have, you know, Zuckerberg's example of the virtual boardroom. And then you start to see gaming emerge with like real economic use cases. So people are drawn into these true virtual economies and all of these things iterate over the next you know i think zuck said five to ten years which is probably right uh they iterate and people just get drawn towards these better experiences over time so there's not a there's not a slam dunk in my opinion yeah i guess um, i'm seeing why it's kind of a nebulous topic because it's like we, we can grasp pieces of the elephant you know yes. <laughs> to, to borrow yes. the, the old fable here um but it's hard to have concrete examples but maybe to summarize it right we know that the trend is moving more digital. The world is moving more connected on the internet. And we can see a world in which, you know, we can't have more immersive experiences. We can yeah. have richer, more human-like experiences. And so that trend feels like, hey, it might just be inevitability. And so let's build towards it now. Let's start defining it. Let's have companies like Facebook, now Meta, right, right actually redefining themselves to be metaverse-oriented because they see this trend occurring. Yeah. But maybe it's not a sense that we actually have very, very clear lines of sight to the exact experiences we will have, but we recognize that that's just the trend and emergent behavior will take over at some point. Right. And I think there's a really important word you said there, which is inevitability, which is one that I've sort of intentionally tried to avoid saying because it makes it sound like a buzzword. It's like our metaverse is inevitable. You know, it's like, okay, what does that even mean? But 
technology is pretty relentless force. And so there's always entrepreneurs and companies out there that want to iterate and create better experiences and draw people in. And so it's not going to be one company that like does all of it. It's going to be this, this relentless forward momentum of creating more engaging, more interactive experiences. And people will just get drawn towards yeah. those over time. You, you reminded me of a saying that I, that I love, um, this idea that innovative technologies have a way of becoming disruptive. Um, obviously, the internet is one of the most innovative technologies we've ever seen, but its disruption is still being felt, and it's still evolving. Mm. And one could argue that blockchains, obviously, I think they're incredibly innovative and turning disruptive, right? Uh, but that was also enabled by the internet. I think there's some really compelling ways that blockchain technology, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, mm -hmm. they, they can play a really, really foundational role in the metaverse. Where does the blockchain play in the metaverse? So I, I think blockchain is is effectively... It's, it's two things. It's the technology that enables true virtual currencies that are not controlled by a central entity and that can be adopted by anyone. So anyone can go and plug in blockchain. It also enables, you know, the obvious use case right now is digital ownership and digital goods in an immutable way. And so you start to see you can go and buy goods and own them and you're the trusted owner as verified by the chain itself, as well as these true economies that can be rolled out globally. One thing actually I'd be very curious to get your take on is, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the idea that blockchain can be the economic layer for the metaverse and for Web3. But unless there's a way of getting that sort of outside of the metaverse, you're always going to have this on-ramp, off-ramp dynamic. You're going to have to, you know, earn your real world money, go and take it into virtual currencies and then use it. And that, that, that to me still feels like it's, it's high friction. And unless we have this end-to-end -end virtual economy where you get paid in crypto, you can go and use that money without needing to on-ramp, off-ramp it. And whatever activities you take or do within the metaverse, you can get rewarded for them in the same currency. It's always gonna feel like two different worlds. It's gonna feel like this sort of separate layer on top of the real world. Do you think there's a scenario where we are able to get to a point where it's all one interoperable economy and there's not this kind of on-ramp, off-ramp dynamic? Yeah, let me actually approach this from a different angle. In 50 to 100 years, do we think cash is still going to be around? <laughs> it's a, well, it kind of yeah, comes back to a little bit, right? Yeah, and the reason I frame it this way is because I think that the offline world is going to continually move online. And so there might end up, a, I think it might even be an inevitability to throw out another word here, right? And all, all we're left with are digital versions of the money that we have today, whether it's fiat or whether it's crypto. And when it's all digital, well, then it's all speaking the same language. It's all APIs. It's all, you know, computer tech, whatever, right? And in that world, what is fiat? What is, what is the difference between fiat and crypto? It's really what ledger you're connected to. But you're still connecting to them. You're still using the same infrastructure. So I think, honestly, at some point, we do have an end-to-end -end environment, Right. There still might be some some friction between moving between fiat and crypto, but I expect that to get better, incrementally better and better every year. A good segue too to another big topic that I wanted to ask you about, mm -hmm. um, and it's you know, again in my head I have a little bit of a fuzzy concept of this, but when we use the word metaverse today, we're painting a picture of what it's going to be in five, ten, twenty years, whatever. It's an inevitable future, right? Does that have to be an immersive experience, like it's a VR, don your headset, walk around, and you know? You're, you're physically present, or can the metaverse actually be as simple as Discord, as simple as an application to voice chat, 
or yeah. hangout just to maybe a little bit more immersive or something like what, what degree is immersiveness important here i think you'll get a lot of differing opinions of this i'll give you my take so i think it's not necessarily virtual reality so that's an interface right you, you can go and watch a movie in a vr headset if you want i think the reason people associate it with that is because that's what we've seen in films like ready player one and uh you know we've seen meta buying oculus and now you know people are connecting the dots with with you know facebook now being called meta and then on the other on the other hand you have people on twitter that describe discord exactly to your point as the metaverse and i think that they are both partially correct in, in my opinion. So I don't think it's virtual reality. Maybe that's the best way to experience it, but I don't think you have to. You could just, you know, you could be on your phone, you could be on your desktop, maybe it's augmented reality. I also don't think that it is Discord, but let me talk about why. So I, I think the reason that it's not your Discord, Twitter, Web3 space, that's not the metaverse, is because it doesn't have the core elements of interoperability. It doesn't have virtual economies. It doesn't have the depth of different experiences and use cases. So similar to how we spoke about gaming being a focused use case, Discord is also a focused use case. It's communication and socialization and maybe a little bit of work, but it's not playing, it's not creating. And so there's sort of different, it's a subset. It's not the full picture. And I keep thinking that, you know, this idea of a town square is really powerful because we don't really have that today. Like if I want to go be social, I can't go to the mall anymore. Nobody, nobody congregates at the mall. Uh, wh where do I go? I kind of have to chat with my friends and decide to meet somewhere. But if we're all moving online to a digital universe or if we're all going to, you know, if all online lives are going to get more and more important and more impactful in our lives, there has to be a digital town square, an online town square. And so in that sense, I feel like that's where I gravitate towards in the mm -hmm. metaverse is, oh, it's got to be. Somewhere we can all kind of naturally go to congregate, meet new people, make social experiences, have an emergent behavior that kind of comes out, right? And in that world, does that need to be immersive? I mean, maybe. We, we kind of get a little bit of that discord today, but it's not really a town square. I think that the challenge, I'm just rambling here a little bit, like thinking out loud, but I think the challenge is, you know, when we talk about immersive worlds, there's that uncanny valley we have to cross, <laughs> Yes. right? And, and to just briefly explain what that is, um, it's this idea that uh, for AI to become so realistic that it can convey human emotion and help us connect as human beings to it, that's an uncanny valley because it could be good, but if it's not perfect, we actually, there's no emotional response, right? Yeah. But once you cross the uncanny valley, then it's so good that it is, it does evoke the emotional responses. And I, I think about that in metaverses too. Like if we have a metaverse that is so immersive, we have to cross that uncanny valley. The tech has to be so good that it can actually evoke emotional responses or so bad that we're not, tr it's not trying to evoke an emotional response. And that comes out through voice or through emojis or some other thing. Right. 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 Yeah. If it's, um, it's actually, a um, yeah, G Google search uncanny Valley and there's some, there's some very like creepy stuff out there. It's sort of, if it's 98% real, it looks really strange. If it's 50% <laughs> real and stylized completely fine. So I think, I think immersiveness doesn't have to be photorealistic to give people a visual. I think it comes from having an environment where you can interact with other humans and where you get a sense that there are real people behind these characters. It's, it's immersive because of the people. It's not immersive because of the pixels, in my yeah. opinion. One of the tenets of, of, I think, the metaverse being successful is, is, is scale. You know, if you go there and it's empty, it's not going to feel 
real and it's not going to yeah. feel like you're getting access to these use cases. So you need something that's usable by 3 billion people. And so you can't expect everyone to have the right hardware, the right software to to replicate images that are photorealistic. So it has to be something that's really widely adoptable. Maybe a natural question then is, what meta, like what's the path these metaverses are going to take to get that scale, to get users onto them, right? What is the magic sauce to create a flywheel to get a network effect, to get a lot of usage and adoption? Yeah, yeah. so it, it's, uh, this is my, uh, this is my, my, favorite, my favorite part of the, the topic. Uh, so I think we have the primitives emerging. What do I mean by primitives? I mean, you have like blockchain tech, you have you know, scaled hardware, software, you have digital ownership. You have these sort of different pieces starting to come together, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of integration and iteration that needs to make that happen. Um, so theoretically, yes, but it's going to take time to build new technology and is, is very difficult to assemble and takes a lot of focus for a long period of time. But to actually get to your question around how we get to adoption. So my, I thought a lot about this and, and I think that the path here is entertainment. And you know, what we've seen over the past you know, 20, 30 years is that, is that video games and gaming is, is often the canary in a coal mine for emerging technology. So back in the, I believe it was the 80s, you, know, you had Atari. That was the sort of first wave of entertainment that got people comfortable with the idea of personal computing. And then you had Farmville, uh, actually, no, I'm going too far ahead. You had a uh, Angry Birds and Fruit Ninja with iOS in like the early 2000s. And then you had sort of Farmville and Mafia, which were the on-ramp for social platforms in, I think it was the, the 2010s roughly. And so with each of these things, it's actually been the harbinger for what's to come. And it's been the, it's, it's like a novelty on-ramp, right? Because we all are looking for dopamine and entertainment and novelty. And so new technologies often need a novelty on-ramp and gaming's you know, it's a massive dopamine factory. So it's a great way to give people enough novelty to get them past that initial friction of trying something new and learning something new. And I think you'll see the same thing with the metaverse. I think you'll see that there are going to be fantastic games over time that start to incorporate true play to earn. That's not a tech demo. It actually enhances the experience. And so the experience is front and center and people will start to experience this technology and they're going to get drawn into, I want to try this new shiny thing that everyone's talking about because it sounds fun and they watch you know, YouTube videos on it. And that just, that's the gateway drug. That's what gets them comfortable with the idea of virtual economies, with virtual worlds. And then over time, things like you know, work, socialization, creation start to come into the fold. So I'll, I'll pause there. But I think my, my, my general thinking is that we need the novelty on ramp the same as we have with almost any emerging technology over the past 20, 30 years. So if I frame it as more uh, simple heuristics that uh, can get people onto an ecosystem are the most important thing. Yes. It's not going to be going with all the bells and whistles and all the complex stuff right away. No, you just want a reason to get people on, mm -hmm. which to your point ends up being entertainment's a great vector for that, right? Gaming is a great vector for that. Some novelty hook to get people into this world. And then we have all the Lego pieces to create this ecosystem that allows for emergent behavior, some right. unexpected sort of social behavior that just emerges as a consequence of people playing around with these little Lego bricks, right? Yeah, exactly. And then also, and then when you get enough people in, it becomes more attractive for developers to go and build new games, new experiences. Yeah. Exactly, you get the flywheel. And so, the um, you know the critical mass is when these experiences start to be appealing in and of themselves. I mean, a lot of a lot of the 
hype around metaverse we've seen over the past year is it's speculation. It's people buying digital goods because they think the price is going to go up. And you look at Sandbox and Decentraland, the daily and monthly usage numbers are pretty low. I mean, Sandbox is, I think, 30,000 monthly active users, and Decentraland is 20,000 daily actives. Minecraft, late last year, was 141 million monthly yeah. actives. So they're, they're not being used. They are speculative investments because they put the technology and the economics front and center, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, they're like really charting the path here. And so, you know, th th they are the they are leading the way for other people to build upon it. So yeah. it's not by any means to say that they're not doing a good job. It's that the experience has to become the forefront to bring in those, you know, the three billion gamers in the world. And then it becomes an attractive flywheel for everyone to build upon. Yeah. And so the bet on Decentraland or Sandbox or any other sort of platform type metaverse, blockchain type metaverse, is that mm -hmm. they are bringing the Lego bricks together. Mm -hmm. They're break, creating an ecosystem that has all Lego bricks, has all the kindling. Mm -hmm. And maybe the thought is somebody at some point will come along and create that novelty that gets people onto the platform and then suddenly the flywheel kicks in and then that specific platform somehow accrues a lot of value and you know owning land there actually is a big deal because there's a lot of eyeballs, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, to some extent, everything's a Ponzi scheme. So, uh, you know, the people that are acquiring land uh, and having great experiences, telling their friends about them, they're going to bring more people in. Those people are going to then be interested in buying land, and over time, you just get enough momentum that the flywheel is rapidly bringing in new people and new developers to build new experiences. Another question then. So, okay, we've got Minecraft, got a bunch of users. It's got a game. It's got a hook. It's got a novelty. Um, what they're missing is maybe the Lego pieces that make it emergent, that let you take your Minecraft personality to other places. Um, and so do you think Minecraft could become a metaverse by just adding in those elements? I mean, they're centralized today. Does it matter if they're actually like the corporation is centralized? I think, um, I mean, anything, anything's possible. I think that Minecraft is another example of a very focused experience on entertainment and, uh, you can create a lot of amazing stuff in there. You can socialize, you can play. So it does have some of the aspects of the potential metaverse. But I think the thing, you know, somewhat to your point is it's centralized is part of it, but it's also more of just a closed system. You know, it's not interoperable with other things. And maybe it becomes interoperable. Maybe at some point you can take your Minecraft character to the virtual town square elsewhere, but it's not there yet. So it's, it is, but it is, you can see the parallels, right? And so Roblox is another example. This one might be a little bit easy for people to grok, but for anyone that hasn't experienced it, it's Roblox is a gaming platform where there's many different games and worlds. You can go and create your account and you can access these different games and worlds. And so I actually think Roblox is a sort of microcosm of what an eventual metaverse could be, where you can go and access the platform and go and play any games and experience worlds that people have created. And there's a whole social element, there's virtual goods. And I think there was a funny example where a Louis Vuitton handbag had sold for more in Roblox than it had in the real world. It was like four grand or something. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's a, it's a very early example, but that's why you're hearing, you know, I think Roblox described as a metaverse company because it has a lot of these elements just at a much smaller scale. Well, that is an interesting effect there. A Louis Vuitton handbag selling for more in Roblox than the real world. I'm yeah. trying to think, like, of course, it might just be speculative hype of people getting way too over their skis in this. But if I were to make a, a, a bull case scenario for this, a Louis Vuitton handbag only exists one place on Earth. And you can only show it off one place with whoever's around you. But in the mm -hmm. metaverse, it could be everywhere. <laughs> exactly. You exactly. actually have a much bigger audience to show it to. Again, 
this idea of marrying gaming with real world economies, living inside some sort of immersive digital world um, that could actually give rise to emergent behavior mm -hmm. and then create something deeper. It actually reminds me, by the way, I wanna, I wanna take a step back here and explore two different things because we're talking about gaming as a hook to get people into a metaverse, which would then provide them with social connectivity, emergent behavior, your personality can live and transact and move and you know this digital immersive world that we, it's probably an inevitable like reality at some point. But in my head, gaming is more of an escape, right? It's more of an idea of, hey, I'm gonna escape the drudgery of my current world, not that it's drudgery at all, but you know, this idea of, hey, I can escape. And then the metaverse as this idea of connected social behavior which in my head almost has an idea of purpose, right? So gaming on one hand is escape, but the deeper point of metaverses might be purpose and connectivity. Mm. And so the hook is actually different than the end goal. And so, I don't know, I mean, I'm just thinking out loud again here, but I agree with you that the hook probably is something around gaming mm. because that does get people in the door. Mm. But it's really powerful when we finally get purpose involved, finally get real social connectivity involved mm. and can marry that together in a deep immersive way and move from platform to platform. I don't know if I, that made any sense, but no, that's kind of how it, I'm grokking it. It, in my head it, right it 100% <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think it's, there's friction with getting on board with new technology. It's, you know, maybe it's expensive, maybe it's confusing. And so, you know, you chase that novelty, you get on board, you learn how to use it. And then through that, you realize, oh, there's all these other people playing it. You know, here are people that I can connect with and I can engage with and I can form relationships with. And, then you get brought in by the community, which is often what happens. You know, often you'll start playing a, a game and you know, you'll end up socializing. These people will become real friends and that's more of a draw than the gameplay. Now, that doesn't quite fit in with the purpose piece, but the purpose piece I think can emerge when there's enough critical mass of people in this ecosystem that there, you know, there becomes economic incentives. So there becomes employment opportunities. Now, you're seeing a little bit of this in you know DAOs today where mm -hmm. people can go and work for DAOs. So when there's enough people, they'll find these economic opportunities. And then when there's economic opportunities, that itself creates another flywheel because people can then be brought into this world, not just for novelty, but also for economic opportunity. So you know, I think it's order of operations is sort of novelty on-ramp, social connection, economic opportunities. Yeah. And then... We can almost just live our lives in a metaverse, <laughs> potentially at some point. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> met, met, yeah hopefully not. Hopefully not. Uh, not not, not full time. But yeah. you know, there's a maybe there's a real world in a or I guess a, what is it called the, the meat space, and then there's mm -hmm. the metaverse. Those lines are going to continue to be blurred. I think meat yeah. space versus online. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any any other topics we didn't hit on? I mean, I got to admit, like I feel like I'm smarter coming out of this, um, <laughs> and I have a better sense for what it is. But this might just be one of those topics where. We just kind of have to wait and see what evolves, what comes, because what we're, it's, it's, so, it's already so challenging to talk about crypto, by the way, but mm. crypto has a really concrete element to it. It's like, look, here's how blockchain works. Yeah. Here's the primitives it enables. This to me feels a lot like, well, we have these cool Lego bricks. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I think, I think the, the one other piece that, you know, we talked a little bit about centralization and decentralization. And I think the elephant in the room for a lot of the more crypto native people today is, why is now called Meta? Why is Facebook building the Metaverse? Why did they rebrand? And we don't want this thing to be centralized is the general sentiment. So there's sort of this like big evil company perception. I don't think Facebook's evil, but I think that's, you know, a lot of, a lot of what at least I'm seeing in the Web3 community. And I think there's a really 
critical point here, which is that new technology is really hard to build and it takes a high degree of centralization for a long period of time. Almost every step function changing technology has required a lot of centralization and someone to take a big bet and push it forward. Even Ethereum was centralized to begin yeah. with. You know, Solana is centralized today. And so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think you'll see waves of centralization and decentralization. So a big player will push it forward. They'll, and this is, I think this is an important one for people to embrace. They should make it open source so that other people can start building upon that platform. And then other, the open source community goes and takes that technology and expands upon it further. Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you, right? I, my, my pragmatist cap here says that we do need to have more or less centralized versions of these things at the start because, again, the technical challenge is so, so high. Um, and so I'm glad that there are companies that are building, at least trying to bring some of these Lego bricks together, and there's more centralized elements at the start. The reason why we feel strongly about the end state of this thing being decentralized in some form or another is that that's really the only way you get some of these really emergent behaviors. For the longevity, for truly emergent behavior, for um, community-owned and governed things, uh, avoiding censorship, avoiding bad actors. Chris Dixon, by the way, wrote a great thing on this on why decentralization matters and how centralized platforms end up turning, turning against the people that made them great in the first place for a variety of reasons. Um, but that is important to safeguard and maintain. Maybe to end this out, uh, if people want to learn more or get involved, like you have any tips or advice? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a there's a bunch of people that are pretty good at this. I think I'd give a big plug to Matthew Bolt. He uh, has written pretty extensively about the metaverse. Uh, I think if you Google search his name or it's Matthew Bolt VC, he's got some fantastic. How do you spell that? Uh, first name Matthew and then Bolt B A L L. B A L L. Uh, okay, got it. Yeah, and he's he's a VC. He's written a lot about this, and he's a he's a very talented writer. Uh, I think that's the big one. Uh, there's also, you know, I would suggest absorbing some of the pop culture around this because, you know, in some ways art, you know, art influences the direction of life. So, you know, Snow Crash, Ready Player One, like try and, try and get a visual for how this thing feels. And then the third thing I'd say is pay really close attention to the gaming space. You know, you've just seen Sony make a couple of weeks ago, a billion dollar investment, uh, in Epic Games, you know, under the quote unquote direction of investing in the metaverse. And so pay really close attention to how that emerges because that's when I think you're going to start to see this thing come to life. And as always, be prepared to be surprised. Yes. Because yes. it's probably not going to play out the way we yes. think it will. And so... <laughs> exactly. And go and try it. I mean, go and try yeah. these virtual worlds. Go and experience them. Go and try Decentraland. Try Sandbox. And, and then tweet at Alex when you have questions. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, right. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. This has cool. been great. Thanks, Justin. Pleasure. Well, I can't wait to listen to this episode again 10, 20, 50 years from now and reminisce on how right or how wrong we were. It's going to be an interesting evolution moving forward. Be sure to listen and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also, I'm really curious. Did we explain the metaverse? Are you still confused and curious? Tweet at me. I'm jmart underscore 199 on Twitter. Leave some comments on YouTube. Reach out to us. And... Also check us out on the web, coinbase.com slash around the block. You will find long form research on these topics and more as well as past around the block podcast episodes. As always, catch you next week for more. Cheers. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties. <laughs>